Welcome to the CX Central Podcast. My name is Justin Tippett and to my long-term listeners, apologies. I know it's been a little while since my last one, but between, oh geez, lockdowns and feeling a little bit sick, it's taken me a while to get back to this, but you know what? I'll come back for a good reason because I get to catch up with my great friend and of course, all-round CX and contact center expert, Mr. Daniel Lord. Welcome back, Daniel. Hi, Justin, and I'm glad you're doing better. Ah, thank you. I, uh, yeah, you know, it's touch and go, but hey, we're we're good today, and that's all that matters. So, um, now we um we spoke. Uh, geez, the last time we did this podcast, we were talking about myth busting, and we did all things uh, call centers, and we really focused on um, what was it on wait time, all things around customer wait time, so service levels, intervals, quality, etc. Um, and today we're going to carry on from that because I want to talk about some more myths, but this time we're going to be centered more around uh, well, what we call it measuring success, right? So we're going to be covering off things in this podcast around the myths of industry standard. Oh my God, we're going to have some good chats around uh, <laughs> industry standards, but also the metrics, some of the metrics not to use because there's obviously lots out there. And uh, one of our favourite topics, I know Daniel is also talking about quality and we're going to uh, cover off some things around quality. So uh, very excited to get into this one. So I don't know, I might just throw it right out to you and say, well, let's just talk industry standards because one of the industry standards I often hear, Daniel, is around the occupancy metric. Yeah. Well, first off, my, I always shiver when I hear that word industry standard. And, and Justin, you've, you've hosted our contact center class many, many times. And a very common refrain from people on that class, probably by the time they're about three quarters through is, now I get why I can't rely on these mythical industry standards. In fact, I think that's where we got the idea for this podcast. So let's go to occupancy. Okay. There is no industry standard for occupancy, for heaven's sakes. Occupancy is an outcome of service level and a few other factors as well. So when I hear people say the industry standard for occupancy is this or that, I'm like, what are you talking about? Because it's a moving target and it's nothing that you would actually set a target for. So what are a, your thoughts, Justin? Well, I know you have the same feeling I do. Look, I certainly do, but I think one of the, the metrics you often see around occupancy is oh, we, we aim for 80% occupancy. You hear it all the time, it's that 80%. <laughs> but Daniel, we, we know, as you just said, that it's pretty hard to set an occupancy target, isn't it? So, But for those that are listening, because I suspect some people listening going, yeah, but why is it hard? Why is it hard to set an occupancy for 80%? Because it's an outcome of other factors. I mean, there's a lot of math that goes on in the inbound contact center world. And as you and I have spoken many times, people don't go to school for this stuff. They typically end up in the industry by accident. And then they don't really have exposure to uh, random arrival and inbound mathematical dynamics. And once you learn those things, then it's simple. I mean, once you know something, it's easy, right? So, But what I find is there's still a lot of people out there that simply don't know. And when you hear someone say, well, why can't I set 80% occupancy? The answer is, well, because you don't know how occupancy really works and what drives it. I mean, let me give one example of many, because this isn't a training course, but there's something called the polling principle. The polling principle is a very interesting dynamic in contact centers. The larger the group, the larger the occupancy. The smaller the group, the smaller the occupancy. Let me put that into normal words. Over here, he's 80-20, he's got 300 agents signed in. Over here, she's 80-20, she's got 20 agents signed in. They're both at 80-20. So a person might logically, maybe that's the wrong word, but they might logically think, oh, then the occupancy rate will be the same. Absolutely not. 
the polling principle teaches us the guy that's got 300 agents signed in, those agents will have a much bigger occupancy. I always say big Q, big occupancy. Whereas over here, her 20 or 30 agents will have a much lower occupancy. That's just a mathematical dynamic. There is no morality to it. It just is what it is. And anyone that runs a night shift compared to a day shift, you might notice that when you look at your night shift figures, the occupancy rate for night shift is always lower. And you're like, oh, why is that so? Well, it's usually because the group size at night is smaller. Perhaps you don't get as many contacts in the night. So that's just merely one reason that occupancy can't be set. Now, Justin, I will say one thing and let you comment on this. Obviously, there's an ideal rate of occupancy, but there's a big difference between ideal and what you're actually going to achieve. I think it's important to make that distinction. Yeah, sure. And I think the basic basic premise behind occupancy for, for those that haven't heard much about it is really that in theory, the higher the occupancy, it just means less breaks between calls for agents. This means you're really busy. It's call after call after call. And typically when you're in a call centre like that, you can expect to have higher attrition. People are going to leave because it's a crap call centre to work in, to put it bluntly. But when you've got low occupancy, it means you're not necessarily the most efficient call centre around. There's lots of periods between calls. And I always use examples of emergency services that, you know, they have to answer 100% of calls in five seconds, right? Wow, that's super high. But as a result, they're going to have very low occupancy. There's not a lot of calls that are being presented and agents are sitting around because they have to. They've got to be available to take that next call when it comes through. So, yeah, there we go. Occupancy, uh, hopefully that uh, expands a little bit for those of you who go, wow. And I'll add one more touch to occupancy. I always say this. You're either occupied or you're available. And I always use the example of a toilet. Forgive me. The toilet is either occupied or the toilet is available. So if you have 80% occupancy, that means you're 20% available. Um, I want to go to your emergency uh, center for a second. If you really need to answer calls quickly, you're going to have to have agents available to do that. And when you say that, you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. The occupancy uh, rate in the emergency center should be lower because we have to have people available to handle those calls. So I like your example. Awesome. There you go. Well, we've learned two things already. I love the pooling principle, and now I've got the toilet principle as well. So I've got... Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You're probably not too much, but yeah, yeah. Um, Now, this is one I know is our... our, Both our pet hates, Daniel. It's around having a target on agents around the number of calls that they take. Rant, begin. Okay. Well, I mean, I think after 20 years of teaching contact centers, I have a, a privilege to say... That the moment someone sets that target or says that target, it's an indication they don't know contact center operations. It's probably the biggest indication because the number of calls someone's going to handle seems to be, when you think about it, clearly linked to the occupancy rate. All things being equal, if the occupancy rate is higher, meaning we're busier, you're handling more calls. All things being equal, if the occupancy rate is lower, meaning we're less busy, we're handling less calls. Well, Justin, we just had the discussion that agents don't control their own occupancy rate. So we can extend that logic to say, then how on earth can they control the number of calls they handle? They do not control the service level that's set. They do not control how many other people who are on staff. They don't control whether they're working in a big group or a small group and the pooling principle. So leading contact centers do not, and I'll say it again, leading contact centers do not even entertain the discussion of targeting agents on the quantity handle. So usually if someone is still confused about that, I basically say, look, whether you come to our class or whether you go to another um, 
credible class. I need to be very clear on that. Please get yourself into a class immediately because you're kind of ruining everybody's life if you're targeting people on quantity. You're ruining the customer's life for obvious reasons. You're ruining your agent's life for obvious reasons. And you're never going to hit that dream NPS or CSAT or everything people talk about in CX. So. Yeah, that's um, spot, yeah, spot on. And I think one of the things you find with a lot of the smaller call centers or people that haven't been exposed to good call center management practice, it's still rife. You see it everywhere around, you know, oh, yeah, I've got a target on how many calls my agents have to take per shift or, or per day, etc. But uh, as you've rightly pointed out, the agent can't control how many calls are presented to them. So if they have a target of, you know, 10 calls an hour or something like that and only five calls come through, what are you going to do? <laughs> Punish the agent because no one called? It's crazy. Yeah, my joke is always you're going to put on one of those sandwich boards and go down on the road and say, <laughs> call me, call me, I'm going to lose my job. I mean, the whole thing is. By the way, I want to point out an industry trend I picked up on in the next, oh, I'd say the last couple of years. And the last couple of years, we're working with a lot of, quote unquote, internet companies. Now, when I say internet companies, meaning that the service they're providing is primarily internet based. Can I tell you the cool part about working with these companies? Because they're so new and they got so big so fast, all of a sudden they have tens of thousands of employees, they're not polluted by these weird metrics. They never even come in saying we target people on number of calls handled. When they come into an operations training, they simply say, teach us contact center because we're really good at what we do in our product and service. And we've grown massively, but now we just want to teach our people contact centers. So when I get on my little soapbox and jump up and down around number of calls handled, they're like, why is he jumping on a soapbox? We don't even do that. So I just want to point out there's a lot of new centers that never even polluted themselves with this, I call it old fashioned way of thinking. Yeah. So I find that very yeah, interesting. Absolutely. So if people were thinking, you know, well, but I still have to compare performance of my agents and I can't measure around the number of calls and I can't use occupancy. Like, what do they use, Daniel? What's well, okay. I, I, I'll say first, and I, I imagine we're going to talk about it. What a lot of people look at is average handling time because average handling time, not as a severe target, but it's an indication to some degrees of what's going on with quality. So they look at it from the quality perspective. If they really want to look at quantity of calls handled, honestly, Justin, they use a rather advanced technique called normalization. Now we're not gonna go through how to normalize here, but basically what they say is, if I'm trying to compare my Japanese call center with a 40% occupancy rate to my Malaysian contact center with an 80% occupancy rate, that's not an apples apples comparison because my Malaysian center is obviously gonna have more calls going on. So what they do is they use what's called mathematical normalization to take out the effect of different occupancy rates and compare them on what's called an apples to apples basis. When we teach that in our workshop, we call it or teach it as what's called true calls per hour, but it's basically neutralizing occupancy. That's probably as far as we want to go on that topic. Well, I'm not that's, sure. That's Joe. right. We're not dipping into a training course, but um, true yeah, calls yeah. per hour is, um, and if you guys are listening and you haven't seen the CX glossary before on CX Central, it is listed there. You can see it with diagrams and pictures and all explains it to you. So, and a lot of the terms that we're using today will appear on the glossary as well. So if we do say something, you're not quite sure what the hell are those guys talking about? Uh, have a look at the glossary and I'm sure it'll be explained. Um, so, okay, we've got true calls per hour. Um, we've, so we, we go, okay, there's an answer to that. Um, adherence to schedule, Daniel. Can, first of sure. all, can you tell our listeners what is adherence to schedule? And then we'll have a chat about whether it's a yes or no. 
Well, in a nutshell, it refers to the agent's scheduled time to be, let's say, on the phone or, or on the live chat or at the service desk. It's not their attendance at work. That's a different metric. This is the time they're supposed to be, let's say, on the phone. And, and you look at it this way. We have to have the right number of people in the right place at the right time. That should be tattooed on all we contact center people. We need the right number of people in the right place at the right time. If we're short by even one person, we're never going to hit our service level. If we're over by even one person, we're wasting money because an additional person doesn't improve wait time very much. So the tricky part in contact center management is having the right number of people in the right place at the right time. So how do agents contribute to that? By following the schedules they're given. I mean, if you go to one of these giant centers in the, in the Philippines, in Manila, and I've toured some of these centers, they actually will say at this interval from 9 to 9.30 in the morning, we need 10,322 agents on the phone, and that's how many we have. We really teach the agents why they need to be in the right place at the right time, which is basically a way of saying adherence to schedule. That's how agents contribute to service level. That's how we make sure customer wait times and all that cool stuff work out. So I'm going to say one last thing here, which, which I think you totally agree with. So the number one productivity measure for an agent in an inbound contact center environment handling service level contacts is adherence to schedule. It's not quantity, definitely not. So people have to fix that. So with adherence to schedule, um, and again, for, the, for, for clarity for those that are listening, uh, if, if you've got an agent that's rostered, say, between 9 and 12, and then they have to go to lunch at you know, 12 to 1, for example, um, you, know, you often if you go into call centres and the agents are rocking in at 5 past 9 and 10 past 9, oh, sorry, boss, I, the bus was running late, my cat ate my homework. We've all heard all the excuses if you work in contact centres. But that adherence to schedule is what, what we're talking about here is it is so critical. If you're scheduled to start at 9 o'clock, all our modelling, all our Erlangs, uh, which we'll talk about in other episodes, uh, all assume that you've got all the agents that are supposed to be there at 9 o'clock are there. And if they're not, it causes service level problems, which ultimately impacts all your customers that are going to call in. So that's why we place so much importance on that adherence to schedule metric. So if you're not using adherence to schedule, uh, I, we strongly suggest you start. It's a bit surprising. But again, Justin, we're being general, uh, gentle by saying most people don't go to school for this. But in this day and age, we're in 2021, as we record this, there's a lot of resources around that can help people get this right. So at some point, there's not an excuse anymore not to have. I think when we started teaching this kind of stuff back in 2002, 2003, and so on, at that time, it was fair. The landscape was different. People really didn't know. But to, in 2021, it's it's a bit, ugh. I will say this. Every contact center has an adherence to schedule issue. We're always all battling to some degree uh, to get great adherence to schedule. What's different here is some centers have figured it out. They teach their agents, they set the right metrics. Their, their problem is little. And the center literally next door to them and the office tower next door to them has a massive adherence to schedule problem. So it has a lot to do with the culture of the contact center and the metrics they set. Yeah, I think the only out that I would probably be willing to give people is adherence to schedule is, is often very technology driven. The, the rosters are in yeah, your call centre system, we know when someone's late, there's alerts flashing on the screen, you run reports, etc. But of course, in a lot of call, small call centres, they may not have that sort of technology. But I still say it's not an excuse because you still know where your agent no. be and you can still... Can I give you a true story of a, a contact center manager I met in Singapore? She said, Dan, I only have 50 or 60 people 
and we're always short-staffed at 9 a.m. Now, I'm not recommending her approach. I'm just describing how clever she was. She gave all the agents an orange flag, and she said, when you come in in the morning, I want you to put that orange flag up on your cubicle. And what she would do at 9 a.m. is she could stand up and look out across 50 or 60 people, and then any place where there was not an orange flag, where that person was supposed to be logged in, that was taken away from that agent's performance in terms of adherence to schedule. So I think there are very smart ways managers of smaller centers without the technology, they can still build a culture. I actually think it's easier to build culture in smaller groups than it is in larger groups. Yeah, and I think some people are probably listening to that and freaking out going, wow, what a horrible place to work. But I think uh, you oh, know, if, no. if you try to, you know, if you got to put flags up and you know, put your hand up when you want to do stuff. But I think the message that we're trying to get through it is adherence to schedule is a critically important metric in your contact center. Um, and if if agents understand why, and I think that's, you know, from Daniel, we've both been training for a long period of time. I use this thing called the power of one. I think you probably use something very similar. It's just saying, here's the impact one agent, just one agent being late has on your whole centre's performance. But there's no good just yeah. the, the centre managers and the team leaders knowing that. But if you teach your agents that... I understand, oh, geez, that's why my team leader is going to be frustrated if I'm running a few minutes late, et cetera. So I think empowering your agents with that information and knowledge actually is, goes a big way to fixing that, that culture thing that you're talking about. Well, for years and years and years, the number one way to improve adherence of, sculpture, adherence of schedule to improve that is to teach it to agents. That's always been the number one. But you can't teach an agent something you yourself don't know. That's so right. you have to understand the role of adherence and then build that culture, which is why the flag thing really worked, because it wasn't about giving permission to agents or not empowering them. It was about agents recognizing how important they were to the success of a center. And, and just to maybe highlight a different view of that, when one agent is late, who has to handle all the additional workload? All the other agents. So it's not just a, a fairness to the customer, it's a fairness to the colleagues and people you work with. And believe me, at some point, a group of agents notices when people are constantly coming in late or they're going out and smoking three cigarettes at break instead of one, blah, blah. They notice. And then they're surprised when their bosses don't actually do anything about it. So it can actually cause uh, a dip in, in morale for sure. So I'd rather use the flag thing to get things right than allow morale to go all over the place and, and my customers suffer, my employees suffer. But as you said, it's education. Fantastic. The other one we want to touch, Daniel, is um, AHT. I know we mentioned it just a little bit earlier, but AHT, which is average handle time. Um, yeah. Daniel, there are a lot of call centers that still use average handle time as a metric for measuring call center agent productivity. Um, I already know the answer, but I really want to hear your perspective on this. Why should they not use it as a productivity metric? Well, I'll put it this way. It's not a matter of using it as productivity. It's the amount of weightage you put on it. Because what I always say about productivity is it's a basket of KPIs. And there's usually two or three, sometimes four things people put in that basket. But the weightage really matters. So adherence to schedule tends to be the biggest weight. Adherence to schedule is a much lesser weight. What's the reason for that? Because the concept is you give people KPIs over which they have control. But most of what drives average handling time is not in an agent's control. And I think that's the wake-up call a lot of senior folks need to think about and get in touch with, which is 
Well, my agents can, can't control the level of knowledge of a customer. My agents can't control how willing the customer is to accept the solution that was presented. My agents can't control when our system hangs. Our agent can't control that our knowledge management system sucks. You know, there's just too many factors. Yeah, so why would you over assign a KPI? Now, when we teach AHT, we typically say something like 20 to 25% of AHT lies in the hands of agents, we, which is why it's probably okay to put in some weightage in your basket of KPIs, but not the significant weightage that you see in some centers, unfortunately. Yep. No, that's a great yep. point. And I think the quick summary for that is you're 100% right. There's so many factors that agents cannot control themselves. And how many call centers have we all rung in our own lives when you someone, the agent says, oh, sorry, just give me a moment. The system's just running really slow. It happens everywhere, right? And of course, yeah, that adds yeah. to average handle time. That's just one example going, well, the agent has no control. If your system's running slow or the internet's a little bit slow, so why are we placing so much emphasis on this metric that has so many things that an agent can't control? Um, well, point- yeah, and there's probably, I'd like to add one, one thing too. Just keep in mind too, when people set these targets sometimes, they assume that the average handling time is the same throughout a 12 hour day or a 10 hour day or 24 hour day. Mm-hmm. But as you and I yeah. both know, what customers call about in the morning is different than what they call about in the afternoon. Yeah. That's called call yeah. mix. The kind of customer that calls you in the morning is different than the kind of customer that calls you in the afternoon. That's a customer mix. And places like banks and insurance companies have really figured this out and gotten very scientific about it. So I'm like, stop and think, are you really think you're gonna have 500 second AHT across every half hour of the day? No, it's going to be different calls in the morning, different calls in the afternoon, for example. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think, you know, it goes with a lot of course in and data. That's why intervals and looking at interval data is so important because you can't just look at it uh, and go, that's an average across the day and therefore we'll use that. So it's a, it's a bonus point for everyone that's listening. Uh, as well. <laughs> um, now with, with AHT, Daniel, I know we, we want to talk about quality and, and there is clearly a correlation between AHT uh, and quality. Uh, the point here is, and, and the most popular post I ever had on LinkedIn got more than 10,000 likes, if you can imagine. And it was an article on AHT, which I wrote out of frustration. It was probably six, seven, eight years ago I wrote that. That's still the number one thing I wrote on LinkedIn. And I said, look at AHT as your exhaust from quality. If you have a monitoring forum and you ask someone to say, good morning, Mr. So-and-so, how can I help you? And you require them to give these three points and you require them to say, is there anything else I can do to help you? And someone is following all those points, in other words, giving you the kind of quality that you're looking for, the AHT becomes an outcome of that. So I often am like, please keep in mind that AHT is an exhaust from your quality. If you want someone to upsell, that's going to impact your quality. If you want someone to close or get a first contact resolution that includes saying these five things, like one of our client requires, that is going to drive the AHT. So I love to say, start with your quality first and then see what AHT results. It never works the other way around. You never say, give great quality within three minutes. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, if you have to put a pizza in the microwave for three minutes to make it warm, you don't give the pizza a two minute AHT and say, only cook it in the microwave for two minutes. That should be enough. That's not how it works. It takes three minutes. So weird example. but but It's it's a great example because I think that will just resonate (laughs) with with a lot of people because people do have that. 
that mentality around there's an AHC target, all calls must be under three minutes. You hear it in so many different call centres and you go, well, that's fine if that's what you want to do, but don't expect to have quality in an environment like that. because you got- Which is what is the whole point of a contact centre? You know, I, I always say the contact centre is like the formal living room of your house, meaning, I don't know if you know what a formal living room was. My parents had one. Oh. We never got to use it when we were kids. We never went in there. It was only for guests, but it always had the best furniture, the best art, the best view. It was perfect in case guests dropped by. The rest of the house could be a disaster, but the formal living room was always great. Well, that's how I think of a contact center. Not every customer is going to use it, but when a customer drops by, shouldn't that be the best of the best? So I can't even imagine in this day and age focusing on mechanical KPIs like AHT for agents when it should all be be all about quality and experience, isn't it? So, yeah. and, and I guess if you don't get that quality right, you know, what, what ultimately happens anyway, right? I mean, the customer's either, A, you're never going to use you again, or they're going to call back to get the additional information they've got. I mean, it's just a, it, it just, it's a huge list that continues to go on. You're just far better focusing on that experience when that customer first calls and getting it right. It's going to give you better results. You're right. I mean, I'm going to get a T-shirt that says quality is the new productivity. I truly think that. Now, I'm not going to throw adherence a schedule away. I'm not going to contradict what we just said. But quality is the new productivity. Yeah. If you truly believe in customer experience and employee experience, quality is the new productivity. You either buy into that and see the value or you don't. So I love it. There's another little nugget that we've got out of this podcast already. There's so many of them, Daniel. Um, now, okay, so we've covered off, um, well, we've covered off a range of things around uh, average handle time and quantity of calls and quality, all that sort of stuff, uh, and adherence to schedule, etc. So what should be the targets that you have on agents then, Daniel? Well, I'm going to summarize it here. Again, we don't have a workshop here, but you want two things. I always say, Justin, we want three things from agents, but today we'll talk about two. I want their productivity and I want their quality. But you have to set those metrics in a way that they don't fight with each other. So, for example, if you put productivity as number of calls handled, that's obviously going to fight with quality. So wrong metric. You should be able to say to an agent, I want your productivity and I've enabled you to give it to me, and I want your quality, and I'm enabling you to give that to me. That comes through things like quality assurance, design, coaching, and all that stuff. Um, and and I, without getting deep into all the individual KPIs that go into that, I always measure, measure individual agent performance on, here's your productivity score for the month, here's your quality score for the month. Ideally, both should be high. It's not one versus the other. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Well, look, if people are looking at doing uh, learning more, we've, we've just uh, skimmed over a whole bunch, a bunch of topics. Uh, but, uh, if you are interested in learning more, you can just head over to oops, our CX Skills uh, website. So it's just cxskills.com.au. You'll find the courses there. Um, uh, for Daniel, we do run what's called our Contact Center Management Fundamentals course. Uh, it's an awesome course. It's done over, uh, well, we typically we do it by uh, four, four-hour sessions. So it's quite comprehensive. Uh, and you can see uh, all the information about it on our course. We have public and private courses available for that course. Uh, Daniel, in our next uh, podcast on Mythbusters, when we continue this theme, we're going to be looking at another uh, topic and that's going to be around forecasting practices. Can we just give a little tease for what people can expect to cover in that one? Absolutely. I think I think it's important, even if you're not a forecaster, to understand what's involved with forecasting, why it's important, and how we all contribute to it. So what's interesting for me, perhaps about our third one, Justin, is 
it may not be so many myths. It could simply be, oh, now I know why it's so important. This tends to be an area a lot of people aren't familiar with or they're scared of a little bit because it's a bit mathematical. But I think we all have to know what's involved. Yeah, fantastic. Well, if you want to learn more about anything, please make sure you go to cxcentral.com.au. As I said, we've got the glossary that's there that has a lot of information, uh, but we've also got um, all the podcasts uh, that we've done previously with Daniel and, of course, others. We've got videos. We've got you name it. There's all sorts of stuff going on on that website and <laughs> lots of articles from uh, from Daniel, including that one on AHD. So if you're interested in having a read, it is uh, it's oh, that's, oh it my is, gosh, I didn't yeah, realize And it is one of our most popular articles as well. So uh, I definitely recommend if you haven't read it to, to head over to the cx central website and check it out other than that uh thank you everyone for listening again of course daniel thanks for your time and we look forward to catching you again with daniel for the MythBusters on uh forecasting practices bye for now